do me a favor if you could. Open up your iPhone calendar app or walk over to your wall calendar or wherever you kind of mark or jot down significant upcoming dates and put a big old circle on June 11th. I'm Jay Martin, Marketing and Media Manager here at St. Anthony Padua Catholic Church, back with the second episode of the Reborn Beyond the Bulletin Parish Podcast, dropping two episodes in one week, just to prove that uh, this time I'm serious about actually bringing the podcast back all the way. So you may ask, what is going on June 11th that is so important to warrant a big old circle on your calendar? And that is the Feast of Corpus Christi also known as the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ. Uh, This is a feast day that honors Jesus, really, truly, substantially present under the appearance of bread and wine, but through transubstantiation, it is Jesus, his actual body and blood. This is the source and summit of our faith. This is really what sets Catholics apart. It's very, very important, and the feast day this year has some extra weight and importance to it with the launch of the next stage of the Eucharistic Revival. There's a Corpus Christi Novena that actually starts today. There's an extremely exciting and unique Eucharistic procession that's coming up on the feast day, and a lot more that I would love to talk with you about today. So first, let's take a look at the Feast of Corpus Christi and its origins. Now, there's a dramatic combination of stories involving Eucharistic miracles, popes, visions of Jesus, and more that all sort of weave together to create the origin of this feast day. There's major players involved like St. Thomas Aquinas, Pope Urban IV, St. Juliana of Liege. There has been some dispute over the years about the exact timeline of events, but the main major story about how the Feast of Corpus Christi came about is one you may have heard before. One day in the 13th century, uh, a priest was on his way to Rome on a pilgrimage. He was reportedly troubled by the apathy of many of the faithful he saw. Um, There was clerical immorality, just a lack of reverence at Mass. And worst of all, he said he felt afflicted with doubt about the Holy Eucharist. Like many Catholics back then and nowadays, he asked himself, how could this be? How can Jesus share with us his actual body and blood? And as a priest, he agonized over these words during consecration about whether the bread and wine he was lifting up was truly becoming the body and blood of our Savior. Now, legend has it that the next day he celebrated Mass at the tomb of St. Christina, an early martyr of the church. And with the doubts about the real presence still plaguing his mind, he said the words of consecration. And legend has it that as soon as he said those words, the host in his hands began to bleed. Blood fell through his hands and down onto the the corporal on the altar. He immediately paused the mass, put the host in the corporal, wrapped both in another linen, and rushed off to Orvieto, where Pope Urban IV was staying at the time. Pope Urban ordered an investigation, and after all the facts had been ascertained, Pope Urban IV did declare that a Eucharistic miracle had occurred. Those linens that the blood fell onto uh, were placed as relics in the cathedral where you can still venerate them in the Orvieto Cathedral today. Now, this reportedly occurred in the year 1263, but we do know that for a fact, the actual feast date was officially put in place in the year 1264 through a papal bull by Pope Urban IV. And sidebar, I just love that term, a papal bull. Uh, It's really just a public decree and edict issued by the Pope, uh, but I can't really just shake that image of a gigantic bull wearing a white cassock. Now, as powerful and moving as that story is, there actually is some backstory that I think we should rewind to. Because while that Eucharistic miracle does play an integral role in the story and lore of the Feast of Corpus Christi, the true origins can really be traced back earlier, uh, not in Italy, but in Northern Europe, the town of Liege. In the town of Liege was a young woman named Juliana. She was reportedly born around the year 1191 or 1192, 
In Liege is a city where there are groups of women dedicated to Eucharistic worship. Now, Juliana reportedly always longed for a feast day outside of Lent in its honor. Holy Thursday, obviously, is when we celebrate the institution of the Eucharist uh, with the Last Supper readings and the Eucharistic procession at the end. But Juliana had dreams for something more. And what also set her apart was that she had visions. She described her visions of a church under the appearance of the full moon, but with one dark spot, which she signified as an absence of such a solemnity. She also reported visions of Christ in which she was instructed to plead for the institution of the Feast of Corpus Christi. Now, how did Juliana's passion for the Eucharist and these visions play a role in the Feast of Corpus Christi's creation? Well, she reportedly kept her visions a secret for 20 years, despite them repeatedly happening. But she eventually related to her confessor, who related to the Bishop of Liege. That bishop created this feast day for his diocese. He said, let's go for it, and it was celebrated on the first Thursday after Holy Trinity Sunday. Now, to really connect the dots, there was an archdeacon in Liege who got to celebrate this feast as it was celebrated so widely in his area. That archdeacon went on to become Pope Urban IV. So, having heard about the passions of Juliana, and now hearing about about this incredible Eucharistic miracle, Pope Urban commissioned St. Thomas Aquinas to compose the proper for the Mass in an office honoring the Holy Eucharist as the body of Christ. Those hymns which St. Thomas wrote included traditional hymns which you are probably familiar with, the Pangelingua, the Panis Angelicus, and O Salutaris Hostia. Those compositions were included in that papal bull in 1264 in the official institution of Corpus Christi as a feast day. Now, like I said, that Eucharistic miracle has been called into question by some scholars who noted some kind of discrepancies in the dating of the miracle, but those disputes aside, in 1264, Corpus Christi did become officially a feast. Pope Urban IV's order was confirmed by Pope Clement V at the Council of Vienne, and by the 15th century, it was one of the principal feasts of the Catholic Church. Now, historically, this feast day was celebrated on the Thursday after Trinity Sunday as a Holy Day of Obligation. Fast forward, though, to the 20th century, and Thursday, Holy Days of Obligation uh, became hard for a lot of Catholics to have to stop their work week to attend Mass. The feast day of Corpus Christi kind of entered into a difficult culture where uh, Catholicism was not dominant, and the demands of work kind of prevented most people from being able to make the celebration. As a result, the feast was moved in most places to the Sunday following Trinity Sunday, so that more people could get to participate in the Mass of Corpus Christi. In an ideal world, it really would be great if we lived in a society where Catholics could be able to go and take the day off and celebrate a feast day on a Thursday, especially with the symbolism of this feast day tied to Holy Thursday. There was a great homily by Pope John Paul II in June of 2001, where he said, On the solemnity of Corpus Christi, we return to that Thursday which we call Holy, on which the Redeemer celebrated his last Passover with the disciples. It was the Last Supper, fulfilling the Jewish Passover Supper and inaugurating the Eucharistic Rite. And now we find ourselves in the year 2023. And those doubts reportedly plaguing that priest involved in the Eucharistic miracle are now prevalent among, unfortunately, the vast majority of Catholics. You've undoubtedly heard about the recent Pew Research study that found only 26% of U.S. Catholics under the age of 40 believe that Jesus Christ is truly present in the Holy Eucharist. Now, that is a mind-blowing, parish-shaking statistic. The Eucharist is a source and summit of the Christian life, of our faith. And if reportedly 7 in 10 Catholics believe that the bread and wine are only symbols of Jesus Christ— then we have a lot of work to do. And that is where the Eucharistic revival comes in and why this Feast of Corpus Christi is all the more important. 
why is Corpus Christi the perfect feast day or solemnity in which to start the Eucharistic revival? Because the Eucharistic revival is about Christ. Uh, it's about him present to us in the Eucharist. And so Corpus Christi is that particular solemnity, which the church like, has set apart for the last few hundred years to make sure that we are concentrate on the greatest gift that he gives us himself. He is still present. He kept his promise. He's always with us, and particularly in the Eucharist. Uh, He never leaves us orphan. He's always here. We need to ponder that, pray with that, um, and if anything, revive our our adoration and love of him who, again, is with us always. So if we're going to have a Eucharistic revival, we must concentrate on him, the source and the summit of our faith. That was Father David Hust, who will be participating in the Eucharistic procession that we'll be having on the Feast of Corpus Christi after the 6 p.m. Mass on Sunday, June 11th. That date is circled on your calendar, it's on your iPhone, be there or be square. Eucharistic processions became popular after the feast day really spread. It was a chance for a celebratory public profession that this is Jesus. We will raise him up, we will follow him, we will worship him because it is not bread, it is Jesus, his body his blood. We've had our fair share of Eucharistic processions at St. Anthony. We had a really cool one for Christ the King. There's a video of that on our YouTube channel that I'm still really proud of. But this Eucharistic procession is going to look a little bit different. For more on that, here is Brian Jones, our coordinator of liturgy. We are now adding these four altars. And so Eucharistic procession, we are taking our Lord around the entirety of of the campus, so you you can see it as a as a way as like a, a kind of a mini exorcism, but you know Christ restores, sanctifies, and heals the the entire cosmos. So if we can see the the parish grounds as kind of a mini cosmos, we're, we're really bringing our Lord to each of those places to ask Him to you know restore those places. Now those four altars are going to be beautiful. There's going to be one at the end of the piazza. There's going to be one near the Our Lady of the Angels Chapel, one near the corner of the school, and one near the three large crosses at the front of the campus. The the mini altars are, there's lots of traditions, um, uh, particularly in Europe and South America, and but generally what we're going to do is the, the altars will be centered around a particular ministry or groups of ministry uh, within the parish. And so when we take our, our Lord to each uh, mini altar, uh, we have, uh, we'll, we'll incense the Blessed Sacrament, then we, we have a, a hymn, and then we also have a, a specific prayer that is primarily centered around the, the groups of ministries and those that they serve either within the parish or outside of the parish. And yeah, it's going to be a beautiful public profession of our faith that this is Jesus Christ, body and blood in the Eucharist. Along with that Eucharistic procession, this Feast of Corpus Christi will act as the launch pad for the second phase of the Eucharistic revival. Now, if you're not super familiar with this revival yet, or you're not quite sure what its purposes or intentions are, let me help. It was officially launched on June 19th of last year, which was the 2022 feast day of Corpus Christi. And the first stage was a year of diocesan revival, which is why you may not be super familiar with it or have heard about it. The dioceses were the first ones to kind of be handed this revival and try to offer events to encourage faithful to grow in their understanding of Jesus in the Eucharist. It was a big undertaking for the diocese to be the first ones to kind of tackle that and turn it into kind of a tangible mission. But now we're entering stage two, which was the year of parish revival. And that is where we're coming to your doorstep. According to the Eucharistic Revival website, the second phase will foster Eucharistic devotion at the parish level, 
strengthening our liturgical life through Eucharistic adoration, missions, resources, preaching, and organic movements of the Holy Spirit. These local efforts will help convert hearts and minds to fall more deeply in love with Jesus Christ, truly present in the Holy Eucharist. Now, as a staff, we're still working on what this year will look like, but I think the Feast of Corpus Christi is a great checkpoint for our faith. Yeah, so that hopefully by the end of the next year, when we get to the next Corpus Christi, we love him more, we adore him more, we worship him better, etc., etc. But it starts with, again, focusing specifically on him, him present in every tabernacle of the world, and again, who comes into our midst humbly through him using the voice of a priest at every single Mass to, again, give his body, blood, soul, and divinity to us. Our goal should be to reach the next Feast of Corpus Christi in 2024 and look back on the last year and say, did my faith, love, and devotion to the Eucharist increase, stay stagnant, or decrease? I think the first thing that stands out to me about this Eucharistic revival, uh, beyond just how important and necessary it is right now, is how good it looks. Maybe this is just a personal thing that stands out to me, but if you go to eucharisticrevival.org, which I strongly encourage you to do, um, all the graphics look amazing. There's just resources on resources. The videos are well done. The webpage flows beautifully. And as the marketing media manager, that's something that just jumps off the page at me. That this is clearly not only a mission and revival that is getting a lot of time and energy and passion dedicated to it, but also it's very clearly being marketed and displayed to attract more young people. Young people presented with corny, outdated church documents and material will just roll their eyes and not pay a second thought to them. But a well-designed and captivating program will draw them in and really make uh, an incredible difference. And with this year of parish revival, they do really have some incredible resources for parishes. There's Eucharistic procession materials, leaders playbook, Source and Summit booklet templates, bulletin features. If you're listening to this from another parish and looking for kind of a starting point, don't reinvent the wheel. Go to eucharisticrevival.org and use the materials and resources that USCCB already has available. It will make the implementation of the revival at your parish so much easier. Instead of hitting your head against the wall or trying to come up with a community event, read about their Knights of Mercy. As a communications team, I can say that we are working on our own content and resources, but compared to most ministries or missions, it has been so much easier because of the quality of content already available. I truly do believe that this Eucharistic revival will take a very low point in the history of the Catholic Church in the United States and our current levels of faith in the Eucharist and turn it into a game-changing initiative that will bear fruit for years to come. Each parish across the country will likely respond in a different way and have different invitations and events and aspects that they focus on, but it'll all be centered and rooted in the Eucharist and developing a deeper faith within the parishioners of Jesus Christ. Now, in case you're curious, the phase after the year of parish revival is a National Eucharistic Congress. Now, if you're not familiar with what Eucharistic Congress is, it's basically one big experience of prayer. It's like a youth conference on steroids. And it also happens that it's being held in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, aka where the Indianapolis Colts play football. It's the first National Eucharistic Congress in 83 years, and most everyone agrees it's a pretty pivotal moment in both American history and the legacy of the Catholic Church. I really do encourage you to go to the website and take a look at it. You can find this specific info at eucharisticcongress.org. There's actually four Eucharistic pilgrimages that will be happening with over 100,000 participants. And the starting moment of that Congress is when the four branches of the pilgrimage all converge together at the same time. It is incredibly cool. It's going to be a massive moment for our faith. And it starts on June 11th. The best thing to do just to come 
and uh, to be a part of it and allow yourself to be immersed in it because this is a new practice here at the parish, but it will be one that will continue. So each year you gain more sort of depth in participating in it. So you, you don't have to know all the all the songs, all the hymns. Be All of the hymns are centered around the body of Christ. So I would just say to come and just allow yourself to be immersed in the experience of it. The Catholic Church has a pretty big calendar of feast days. We celebrate people going up. We celebrate them coming down. We celebrate them dying. We celebrate them being born. There's a lot going on. But this Feast of Corpus Christi, I hope, does stand out to you and your family this year. Read more about its origin. Go visit the relic of St. Thomas Aquinas in our chapel. Sing the hymns that he wrote. And I really do encourage you to join us on Sunday, June 11th, not only for Sunday Mass, but also for the Eucharist procession happening after the 6 o'clock Mass at our parish. Thanks again for listening to Beyond the Bulletin. I'm excited to get this back off the ground. My goal is for Fridays to be the new regular schedule for Beyond the Bulletin episodes. So next week, tune back in on Friday for our next episode, which will be about the four new saint relics coming to the Our Lady Angels Chapel. And just to whet your appetite a little bit, I'll tell you right now, one of those four relics is Saint Gemma Galgani, who I can't wait to tell you about. Have a great weekend. God bless.